Welcome to the Scottish Business Network podcast. Hello, I'm Fraser Allen. Welcome to episode 47. When the pandemic crisis arrived, lots of people talked about starting a new business, but not so many people actually did it. Hassan Paimani is an exception, concerned at the problems he encountered getting hold of face masks for his at-risk father and pregnant wife. Edinburgh-based Hass launched his own business to supply high-quality masks at a fair price without disrupting PPE supplies to the health service and with a percentage of sales going to NHS-related charities. It's a really interesting story and just as fascinating is Hass's background as a self-confessed obsessive who previously immersed himself in the worlds of poker and TV before becoming established as a successful tech entrepreneur. In recent years, Hass and his wife have also had to overcome two miscarriages and a terrible cycling accident that almost cost him his life. All the more pleasing then to see him embrace this new venture with his typical dedication and enthusiasm. I interviewed Hass on Wednesday the 22nd of July. If you enjoy this, why not subscribe to the Scottish Business Network series? We're on iTunes, Spotify and all the mainstream podcast platforms. The interview kicks off after this short promotion. Do you need a communications expert to help you with your marketing, brand storytelling or strategic content? Find out what I, Fraser Allen, can provide at www.allencoms.co.uk. That's Allen with two L's and an E and comms with two M's. So, Hass, how are you doing? I'm great. Thanks for having me on. I'm excited. My pleasure. Now, let's start, as we usually do, by going back into your childhood. So how about telling us a bit about your upbringing and what you dreamt of doing for a career when you were going through school? Okay, well, I'm I'm 40 years old, so my childhood was some time ago, I guess. Um, I had a great childhood. I was fortunate enough to have two parents that were really supportive um, from wildly different backgrounds from which I had um, and which they gave me. So my father was from Iran and left Iran um, in the mid-70s and came across when he was you know, 18 or 19 to, to study before the revolution. Um, so his experiences of uh, his early childhood were vastly different from mine, and he sort of strived to give me something that he didn't have. Um, and similarly, my mum came from a, a housing project in Edinburgh. They, they both met in the, in the mid-70s, and um, they were just super supportive, and you know, they just wanted to give me a better life from, from what they had, and they worked very hard to do that led a very entrepreneurial career already so was that in your mind as you were growing up that you wanted um, to work for yourself well rather controversially i guess and that you know a slightly complex character i was obsessed with joining the army from about 13 to 18 i mean right. ridiculously so i was involved in the you know the cadets at school i just i lived for it i loved it so much um so that would played on my mind for a large part and yeah a bit of business business was important my mum my and dad although they had Jobs were sort of self-starters and ended up um, creating a business um, for themselves, which has been going now for almost 30 years. Um, so certainly like an entrepreneurial um, an, an entrepreneurial feel came, came from them. Um, but I like to be involved in projects. I like to sort of take the lead where I could. Um, I like the idea of sort of being a bit maverick and doing things things that other people around me weren't necessarily doing. 
Um, and I also didn't like towing the line, um, which probably put an end to my any form, yes. form of military career. But I really started to think from about 18 or 19 that I could do that, I could do that, why can't I do that? You know, I don't like being told I can't do that in a sort of arrogant, youthful way, I guess. Um, and so I didn't really know what I was going to do. But what happened was that I left school and went to Strathclyde Business School um, and I lasted eight weeks there. Right. <laughs> so I got to business school and I was like, geez, this is not for me. And everything about it was not what I had envisaged you need to be at that time. Um, I sort of had this idea of riding about in a bike with a basket with a scarf, like in a sort of hippie type of way. So I ended up quitting Strathclyde Uni, um, much to the dismay of my parents. And I ended up going to study philosophy and history at Edinburgh. <laughs> um, and I had no idea what I was going to do. I just, yeah, I like sort of rambling on with the fellow students um, in a whimsical nature. I, I still like doing projects on, on the side. Some of them were sort of commercially based and others were just being involved in things. Um, but by and large, I had no real career goals at all in my, in my early 20s. So when you left university what was the next step from there if you weren't really sure so what happened was well this this it, it sort of coincided with um one or two other other things um which led to a business that um i sort of wound down a few years ago so in 1998 i left school and i was i became obsessed with poker um in a really big way so there was a tv show called late night poker on channel yeah. four i don't know if you remember it, and it just do, yeah I just fell in love with it. I mean, everything, the characters, the sort, of, the sort of cowboy aspect of it, just like strolling up to a table and talking to, you know, great, great characters and, and winning and playing money and outsmarting people. And I, I just became obsessed with it. Um, and it turns out that I just, there was three other friends of mine that also um, became obsessed with playing poker. We used to play in the local casinos in Edinburgh um, when we were you know, just, just past leaving school. So that was, that was prior to university as well. Um, unfortunately for me, it turned out that I was a terrible poker player, um, like really, really, really bad, and still am. But I just loved it. I just loved everything about um, sitting at the table and chatting to people. Um, funnily enough, it turned out that my out of, out of the three out of the three friends that I had, two of them turned out to be uh, remarkably gifted poker players, and they at eighteen, nineteen made huge sums of money playing cards, uh, both in the casino and online. This was during the sort of ascendancy of the poker boom in the early 2000s. And they sort of rode the wave in the way that young people can with no responsibilities. They just played cards um, and travelled the world uh, playing in competitions. And I was just fortunate enough to have awesome friends that took me along for the ride. Um, so I spent, after uni, two or three years um, just travelling around the world um, on their dollar mostly in Vegas, drinking and partying whilst they played cards and, and we celebrated the success and it was all on them and it was awesome. That sounds pretty amazing. It, it was, I mean, it was absolutely uh, tremendous. So one, one of them is still a professional player and a really? sports gambler and the other one, um, which I'm going to tell you, the, our, our story is now like my best mate and business partner. But but nonetheless, that, that's what happened. And so I did that for a few years, sort of wandering aimlessly around the world with them, which was you know, spectacularly good fun. Um, and eventually I just came to my senses and thought, sort of thought, this this is not my life, that's their life. I need to go do something. And I went to, I moved from Edinburgh to London 
um, and got a job with a marketing company as a as a media buyer for uh, Unilever ice cream products. And I sat in this massive office um, learning to deal in adverts and the mechanics and the economics of all that type of stuff. And it was sort of fun because um, I could sort of wheel and deal and it was sort of, it felt fast, you know. Um, but again, the sort of, I don't know what it's about me. This thing just kicked in, which is just like, I don't want to be in a big office. I don't want to be wearing an ill-fitting suit and commuting and so on and so forth. And I just left sort of disgruntled one afternoon and I bumped into a friend of mine who was a poker columnist uh, called Grub Smith. He's also a, a television presenter. And he sort of asked me what was wrong. And I just sort of sort of felt grumpy and whatever. And he was like, oh, maybe you should have a change in career. And I said, yeah, well, you know, any, any any ideas you've got, Grub, would be awesome. So he, I mean, this 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 is a true story. And he, he walked me into a pub quiz in London and he said, uh, this is Hass. He works in a big office. He doesn't want to do it anymore. He wants to do something fun. Has anyone got a job for him? And it, it turned out that it was a TV production staff pub quiz um, for a company called Endemol that makes All right, yeah. um, TV shows. And someone put their hand up at the back and was like, I'll give them a go. And it turned out to be that they were the production manager for a TV show called The Farm, which was a reality TV show where they put seven or eight celebrities on a farm and film them <laughs> being farmhands. Um, it was a famous episode with Rebecca Luce, um, who had a thing with uh, oh, yes. David, David Beckham a long time. So that, that was a TV show. And, you know, what happened was two days after that chance meeting in a, in a pub in London, I quit my job and became a runner. Um, on a TV show <laughs> and moved to, um, I think it was Shrewsbury, where the farm was, and I lived in a little chef um, travel lodge for a month, and I got a job as a runner on a TV show, and that's that's where I spent the next three years of my life, just going from, you know, running jobs to assistant producer jobs to, you know, whatever jobs I could get on a freelance basis, working in television, um, while simultaneously coming back up to Edinburgh and, and spending my friends' money when they were playing cards. And I loved it. I loved everything about TV. I loved the sort of freelance nature of it. I loved the interest in people I met. I loved learning things. It was, there was no real career path in TV at that time. It was sort of, you just had to work your way up the ranks, um, which just appealed to my nature of sort of being a maverick and also not any formal way to get somewhere. It was just on your own on your own merits, I guess, and, and how you could build relationships and also being good at your job. Um, I just I just loved everything about it. But what I came to realise was that it wasn't too difficult to make television. Um, ultimately, you needed to know how to use a camera, you needed an editor, and you needed some talent um, in front of the camera. And although I was never really thinking about TV shows as such, I just the, the business of it became quite interesting, especially when we worked on reality TV shows. Um, that you know these companies were making vast amounts of money for making stuff that basically clogged up television channels. Hmm. Um, and, and, and what happened was that I I came back to Edinburgh one, one weekend, and we were the poker boom was still sort of happening; it hadn't hadn't finished. Um, and we were just doing these cool things, like you know, my friends were traveling to Barcelona to play in, in exciting competitions. They were meeting interesting people. They were interesting people themselves. 
And I just sort of had this zany idea overnight, which was like, why don't I just film this and do something with the footage? Um, I had no technical experience whatsoever in filming um, or editing. Um, and they were like, cool, why not? And so I literally got a video camera from PC, well, what was Dixon's, um, and off we trotted and I just started filming chats with players in the bars of these hotels where the competitions took place and you know various celebrities that were there, mostly just for my own purposes. Um, and I, I taught myself to edit over four or five months on, a, on an old computer. Um, and we became a sort of anomaly on the on the poker scene. This was prior to most poker companies involving you know multiple media outlets to come um, and 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 do media on their on their tournaments. It was only big big companies that were invited along. But I was sort of running around with a little video camera and a, and a printed T-shirt, um, taking interviews of people. Uh, and again, we weren't really promoting them anywhere. There was nowhere to promote them at that at that point. Really, the poker infrastructure was very very small. But what happened was that some some marketing person from Paddy Power um, had an interview production company not turn up to do an interview of a poker player, and I sort of knew him as a as, as a friend who I drank with because I was at the events. I wasn't part of the media circus, and he just said, "Ask can you just do this interview?" And I I did it because I could I could chat to poker players. I knew the game. I sort of I was part of the the fraternity without you know I wasn't an outsider, and. Um, he asked me to do the interview. I gave it to him. I, I edited it very badly because I just sort of, like I said, just taught myself to edit. Uh, and he gave it to me. He gave he gave me a couple of uh, you know shekels for it. And I just thought, hey, this is this is pretty cool. And you know, the, the story goes that ten years later, we've now made you know ten to fifteen thousand videos. We've done thousands and thousands of hours of live streams because we built a company around that sort of moment. Mm. Um, and that took ten years, and we became, I guess, the one of the premier video blogging and live streaming companies in the in the European poker industry, at least over a ten year period. This um, is Volcano City, is the name. Yeah, that's right. So originally, the company was called Sick Tilt, which is a, an amalgamation of two words in uh, in poker. So one of them is sick, which sort of means cool or yeah, that's that's crazy, and the other one is tilt, which is what people go on when they tend to lose. Um, so the company was called Sick Tilt, and that was our irreverent video blogging company. Um, and over a period of time, as I sort of smartened up our act, and the op- the opportunities became bigger and, and more important and, and more complex, we changed the name of the company to Volcano City um, and just basically changed the way that we were doing things, as most small businesses need to do to grow, and we became Volcano, Volcano City. And, and you and I met several years ago on the, the Scottish Enterprise High Growth Pipeline Initiative. Yeah. What's what happened then? Because obviously the, you, you've since closed the, the business down. So what was well, the... I've actually wound, I've not closed it down. I've I've, I've wound it down, and, and and part of that is just this, you know, the, the latter story of what of what happened. Mm. Um, so, like I said, we 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 were a video blogging unit, and we were making um, hundreds of videos a week for large gambling companies, well, poker companies, um, in, in Europe. Um, and we were making them in, in lots and lots of different languages. Um, and then we moved on to live streaming. Um, and then we moved on to live streaming technology. And we provided a service which allowed sports organizations to commentate on a sport in more than one language, but do it remotely. Um, and it was that sort of 
tech solution, which was which was why I was on the Scottish High Growth Pipeline mm. for about eighteen months. Um, and effectively, what happened was in two, in two thousand eighteen, we became, we got to a crossroads whereby, although we were the some of the first, you know, in a very very small scale, providing this type of it was a, we were actually providing a hack and not a software solution to 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 allow companies to be able to achieve uh, remote commentary, and we got to the stage where we we were going to require investment to to scale this into something bigger and better. Mm. Um, and when different customers that were um, outside our current sort of customer profile, and so I, I, I got invited to come along to that. Um, the Scottish High Growth um, Pipeline system, and then onto the investment uh, networking opportunity that we both met at. Um, and just, you know, after a few months of thinking about it, it felt like I was going to spend six months to a year trying to drum up a serious amount of investment f- to get us to the next stage, um, which, you know, pragmatically, I think f- we felt that we might not actually win. Um, we, might got the, we might have got the money, but we might have not won the race to become... Mm. next big thing in that form of tech considering that almost everything now is you know software based and the types of solution that we were offering are sort of are readily are readily achievable now through a lot of different company solutions and so you know after after i think just under 15 years we decided to bow out of the race and still have money in the company um a, a, a bunch of clients that we still had very good relationships with um, and move on. And so what we did was we looked for partner companies in this area um, that wanted to work with our clients and also learn some of the things that we learned in that in that journey that maybe just started out themselves. And we passed on our clients to them. We um, we worked really hard um, for ten, 10 or so years built, building that company um, from, from scratch with no technical experience into something which was highly technical. Um, and built, had a good reputation, um, but you know sometimes you just got to get out before things uh, fall down around you. And so I'm, it was a tough decision, but one I'm actually glad that I've taken. You then had a, a serious accident riding your bike, and we. we were both <laughs> yeah. so, I don't know why I'm laughing. Uh, it wasn't just, funny. It was what you needed. <laughs> well, so, I mean, how, how did you cope with with recovering from that? And what was running through your, your, oh, your head? Oh, just a, it was a nightmare. So I, you know, I, I wound down Volcano City in 2018 towards the latter half of 2018, and thought, right, I've spent a decade working, not doing anything, becoming unfit. Well, you know, I might have not ever been fit, but you know, I was definitely unfit at the end. And I thought, right, what can I do in that sort of midlife crisis approaching 40? I thought, I'll take up road cycling. Um, and I, I get relatively intense about new things. Um, and so I just, you know, I basically became a full-time athlete. I spoke to my wife and said, I'm going to spend you know, six months to a year um, getting getting fit and climbing mountains and doing all the things I couldn't do and always moaned about not doing because I was constantly on the road at, at poker events um, and she was really cool and she was like go for it do, do whatever makes you happy I think she was just um, tired of me being glum and always moping around the house so I, I took up road cycling and basically got run over after three months um, and I was very very lucky to survive it if it, you know, it was an inch the other way the, the car would have hit me um, directly side on but unfortunately for me it hit the back end of the bike and I, I basically walked well I basically broke my leg badly um, which meant that I couldn't walk for four months. Um, so the the whole of 2019, well, half of 2019 was written off with me just sitting sitting around the house. Um, 
Yeah. <laughs> and how did you cope with that mentally? Um, well, well, there's a couple of things that happened in that, in that year particularly. So prior to me falling off my bike, my wife unfortunately had a, a miscarriage, which was quite a bad one. So that happened at the start of 2019. Then I got run over. Um, and during that time, I was quite concerned about her. So, you know, I was I was focused on the family. Even though I, I, I couldn't get out, I was still able to tinker around with ideas. Mm. Um, and, you know, I, I had some ideas to work on um, to, that, that, might, that might have gone somewhere, but mostly I was just learning things and, and exploring stuff um, and looking after the family where I could. And unfortunately, after I regained... Uh, my feet, my wife had another miscarriage, which made the whole of 2019 um, basically, uh, you know, it, it, it just didn't go anywhere at all. It was, a, it, was a bad, it was a bad year. And so I didn't fulfill some of the things that I wanted to do when I actually could walk towards the latter half of 2019. So that I, I reset the plan to 2020 um, and I was sort of looking forward to doing new things in 2020. And then fast forward to the pandemic crisis, and uh, then I mean, this brought about the idea for your, your new business. So tell us what happened. Um, well, well, first of all, I had I had a bunch of ideas that I was going to sort of delve into at the start of twenty twenty, and then the pandemic, you know, unfortunately hit, and that that put um, later those plans. I was, I was going to create a. My business partner and I were looking at the sort of eco space, uh, and creating eco products and, and various other things along along that sector but um, when the pandemic pandemic hit we just we just stopped doing it completely so I sort of had a buzz for e-commerce in my in my mind um, but the genesis of that idea was just it was just one of pregnancies I mean I was I was at home I was actually living with my parents at the time because our house was getting renovated um, and so my wife was pregnant again thankfully um, we were at, at my mum and dad my dad had a blood condition um, and, you know, just this constant stuff in the news about having to wear a mask or potentially having to wear a mask and where you should buy them and, and which ones you shouldn't get, the lack of medical PPE. It was a constant conversation at our kitchen table. And we just tried to buy masks, you know, like most people in the country at the time, without really understanding what a mask would do, which type you should get, um, where you should buy them, the types that you shouldn't. And we just couldn't get any. Um, and those that we could get were, you know, frankly, just rubbish. They were overpriced. They didn't seem to fit. Um, they looked horrible, and there was a sort of a sense of opportunism around the people that were selling them. I just found distasteful. Um, and you know, I like a I like a project, and I thought, you know, how hard can it be to make a really good quality face covering um, that f- actually fits people and that looks decent and is a decent price point? And so I just, you know, like I've done most things in my life, I just sort of sat around and tinkered with some ideas and. Found, but how, but how do you? I mean, from from not knowing anything about the subject at all, really, presumably, how, how do you then go about? I mean, how are the masks manufactured? How do you organise the whole operational side of things? Well, what what I tend to do in a situation like that is just go into a really really deep um, and intense research phase, which I'm sure is very annoying for everyone around me. Um, I mean, I literally just become obsessed with things. Um, you know, just I would just. Because I and I also was fortunate enough that I, I was like I'm 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 am effectively furloughed um, from my other company, um, so I, I had time and I was I was I was basically acting daddy daycare. So it's not as if I had to um, juggle a, a million things. So I do have times on my I, I did have time on my hands, um, 
you know, I just you just start you just start googling, and you just like you you've got to be curious, and you ask a question, you find someone that might be a supplier of something, you call them up, you ask a question, you get an answer, you stick that down on a bit of paper, you call someone else up, and you use that answer that you got from someone else to form the next question, and and you go on until you feel that you've completely um, got a sense of what of what makes the thing that you want to achieve complete. Um, and, and, and that's what I did. And I did it very, very intensively for about 10 weeks until I, f I found suppliers. I actually found suppliers of different parts of mask manufacturing all over the world and uh, got samples in, which was quite difficult. Um, and I just pieced together a plan about, first of all, just product. I mean, what, what, what are the boxes you want to tick in a, in a product like this based on the information they had at the time? Uh, which has obviously slightly changed now because we have moved on and there's there's various guidance from different governing authorities. But at that particular time, I, I did, like I described, um, and then worked out what that product would be like and if I would be happy with it. Um, and I felt it was. And then it was like, right, okay, well, if you want to put this out there and be part of this conversation, what are the things that you don't like about the current way people are selling masks? And one of them was the opportunism of, and I've got no problem like seeking an opportunity, but I think when when sellers of any product um, are opportunistic, that that is when you know it leaves a bad taste in the customer's mouth, and it also seems to be me just distasteful in general and, un, and unpalatable. And, and one of the ways I felt would avoid that and also genuinely create an opportunity for other people to get good masks was that if they had sort of skin in the game, so. Off the bat, I just felt like a percentage of sales, regardless of the sale, um, should just go to charities that work with frontline workers. That was a key tenant of what I was trying to do. Mm -hmm. um, and so, you know, I, I had to work at, at the price point, of course, but ultimately the economics do work. And so 10% of all sales go to an NHS charity, a charity associated with the NHS. Of course, the NHS is not a charity in itself. Um, and then secondly, it was, well, how do... How do people that, or how do members of associations or, or, or people in a community get to hear about a really good mask? Um, and why should another organization participate in marketing that mask? Um, and if they do, how can they be remunerated effectively? And so I, I, I built into the, the pricing a, a way for communities or charities or people with a big network um, to get 10% commission effectively on, on the sale of that product um, whilst incentivizing their member by giving them a discount. Um, and I sort of took that from the way that poker systems work where, you know, affiliation is key in a digital marketplace where everyone can promote the product and everyone sort of gets paid along the way. And that just is, is part of a referral marketing system I think that I think works um, economically as long as the source price is correct. Um, and, and, and that's what happened. And I, I just sort of launched it um, with those principles in mind that here's a really, really good product that I'm, that, well, I don't want to blow my own trumpet, but I, I felt happy with it. Um, I think it ticks a number of the boxes that, that people were talking about at the time. It's affordable. 10% of all sales went to an NHS-related charity. And it, just simply, if you're an organization out there, um, then you can participate in this as well and fundraise for your cause. And I just launched it on Facebook, you know, after 10 weeks of um, coming up with the idea and working on it and, it, and, it, and it, got some, it got some traction right away, which I was very, very pleased about. 
So Hass, um, I mean, when, when we have a crisis like the one we're going through at the moment, there's a lot of talk about, oh, this is going to create great opportunities. And a lot of people have ideas, but not many of us actually do anything about them. So you obviously have. What, what have you learned uh, from the experience of creating a business so rapidly in such a, an unusual business environment? Um, well, that's a good question. Well, in, in this particular sense, creating a, a product associated with public health, um, I think you have to be very, very brand conscious. So this sort of taps into what I was talking about before, where there's an element of perceived opportunism about a product like this. Um, I, I, I'm very, very aware that, that there can be a perspective on that. Um, and to mitigate that, and, and also because that was part of the motivation for me starting this, was that you have to plan properly. You have to provide excellent customer service because people are worried about think, the types of things that they're putting on their face, and quite rightly so. Um, and so the level of customer service interaction that I have on the site and now that the people that are working for me have is very, very high for a small e-commerce site. We're constantly fielding questions from customers um, around the clock, actually. I'm, I'm, I'm very, very keen to answer people's questions about the types of materials that they should have on the face mask. Um, so that, that's, what, that's one thing. Customer service inquiries is, is super important. Um, and a, a degree of transparency. So, I mean, I don't know if you've been to our Facebook page, but the, you know, it's, it's, I am the face of the, of the company. It's my story. It's the story I'm telling just now. Um, and I think that is super important. I don't want to be a remote company that's just peddling face masks. Um, like I'm, I'm putting my sort of reputation on the line. I'm saying, you know, I, I believe that this is what we're offering is, is a suitable option for, for families and businesses to use. Um, and I believe that level of transparency is, is, is really important, uh, particularly for a small company. I mean, if you're, if you're a huge uh, fashion retailer like The Gap who, who are bringing out face masks, then, of course, there's just a, a level of removal from the person and, and ownership talking about these products. But I think if you're a small, a small company um, that's got a story to tell, then transparency is crucial. Customer service is crucial. Um, quality of product should just be default super important um, and ensuring that when you say that you're going to do something whether it's give money to charity give money to associations that that happens um, in a timely and correct fashion so there should be no delays it should happen it should be publicized accordingly um, and that should be the first thing that happens when money leaves the bank account you know it's, it's, it's super important that that happens and, and those are the tenants by which we are trying to run the business so what's the, the scale of the business now, Hass, and, uh, and what would you say its, its strengths and weaknesses are? Um, so the scale of the company, I think we've been going since launch for 45 days. Um, we've done very little advertising. Um, we have about, we've won about 2,500 customers already, um, which I'm really, really happy about. So not, not only has just, you know, we, we have managed to convert traffic to a website organically and then they actually feel confident enough in my message that they will part with their money to protect themselves, which is just, you know, I'm actually, that's just something that I'm super proud about already, um, that that's sort of resonating with people. Um, but we've got, we've obviously sold thousands of face masks to, and, and got them into the hands of people. Um, we've raised just under £5,000 for charity and good causes um, and community groups. And that community group 
could be one of our partners like Adoption UK who came on board organically and, and signed up to be part of the community programme, all the way down to uh, a community in Somerset uh, called the Mark Village Association who, who signed up to get masks into their hands. Uh, so there's people, you know, that, that's the scale of it. We've got national charities on board, we've got community groups, um, and we're selling masks on a, on a daily basis. Um, and that, th those are the, the important things that are happening so far. So, Hass, you, you're dealing with primarily, it seems to me, with customers on the internet, but how about businesses? Are you working with them at all? Yeah, we are, we are working with businesses, much, much in the same sort of transparent vein where we're providing 10% of all business sales that we generate uh, to the to the charity that I discussed. Um, and also businesses can sign up for our community program, um, which is quite interesting for, for them because if they don't have a perk box as such, but they've got a deals page, then they can offer a 10% discount to their employee base um, and their and their employees' families, whilst also generating revenue for for causes that that business believes in. Um, predominantly, uh, most businesses aren't just taking the revenue they're making from that type of affiliation with us for themselves. They're, they're distributing it back to causes that they believe in, which is really cool to see. Um, and the other way that we work with businesses is a team voucher system, uh, which works with a company's perk box. So a company can work with us and, and, and buy our masks at wholesale prices. Um, and then we generate a gift code for each employee that will receive that the company wants to receive a mask and that 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 employee comes to our website and buys a mask uh, effectively free of charge using a, a gift code that the company purchased from us and that that allows companies to give masks to their employees uh, which is which is pretty cool and, and is working well so an edinburgh based luxury bar chain called montpellier's just kicked out 200 staff in that in that fashion which was um Gained a little bit of publicity, which was very nice for us, but also, you know, importantly, 200 people got um, a pretty cool mask to walk to work in. I suppose the, the big crunch question is, what are you going to do with the business when we reach a point, hopefully, when we don't need to wear masks? Um, so, first of all, on the topic of do we and should we be wearing masks long term, um, of course, like government advice is going to be crucial in that in that front, I think that wearing a mask right now is actually just a declaration of social responsibility and saying, like, I care for the person next to me. Um, and I think that the intensity of which we talk about them is going to drop, but I feel that, you know, for the next 18 months or so that people are going to have masks on them to use um, when, when they need. It might, we, we might not talk about them all the time, but I, I think it's going to be something that we're going to have on their person. So on that front, in terms of expanding our portfolio of products we are already working on other types of masks um, that suit other people's purposes um, but as you can tell from the, the actual brand we're not uh, the, the the company's not branded uh, for masks um, it's a uh, the company's called screen and shield which allows us to move into other product categories um, depending on you know the demographics of the customers once we reach uh, say 10,000 or something like that, um, and then begin to work on secondary products, some associated with masks and others just in the general category. Um, so, for example, right now, 65% of our customers are women, um, and we're selling a large volume of children's masks. So, you know, there's a family element there um, where they're they're actually saying, you know, with the, with their 
with the money in the wallet that that they that they trust us to provide a level of security and whatever for the family, um, and so there will definitely be product categories there that we can that we can bring in, um, and you know offer them to to those customers once we've once we've trialed them. Well, Hass, it's been great to hear your story. I mean, first of all, I had no idea about your the, kind of the backstory of the, the <laughs> poker escapades and the uh, and the television I, I and kept the, them, on the farm. And stuff. I kept those stories fairly <laughs> vanilla, to be honest. They were. Well, I'm, I'm glad you shared them with us, and uh, it'd be really interesting to to follow the success of the of the business over the the weeks to come. So, thanks so much. Good luck with that, and thanks very much for your, your time. You're welcome. Thanks. If you'd like to check out Hass's website, go to screenandshield.co.uk. Thanks for listening. I'll be back in a fortnight. To find out more about the Scottish Business Network, simply visit sbn.scot.